we looked at Genesis chapter 11, and I'm not going to backtrack a lot today. I'm just going to, I want us to catch up uh, a little. Uh, we started in verse number 10 of Genesis 11, and we're talking about Abraham, uh, the beginning of a man of faith. He kind of is the epitome of faith when we talk about it. We talk about Abraham. And so, uh, the first thing we talked about, how that God... A uh, selection of faith was Shem, who later became the Hebrews, and that is Israel. That's in Genesis eleven ten through 32. You see their whole line. You also see it twice in the New Testament as well, and you also see it in all of their privileges. You'll notice some names that you'll see come up in the Bible there through those verses. Uh, then we look, secondly, at Abraham's start of faith. God called him, and he gave him a personal call. I believe it was an audible call. And then he gave him a parting call, and he said, Get out of this country, leave this country, and go where I will tell you. And then uh, the, the third thing we looked at, and this is where we kind of stopped last week, was Abraham's stall of faith. That's in verse number four. Look, look what he said. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. That looks good. He's doing exactly what he said God had said do. But notice it says this, and Lot went with him. Now, if I read my Bible well, it's not one place mentioned to where God told Abraham to take Lot, nor did he ever speak to Lot to go. So that poses us a problem already. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Now, we don't know how long he lived there, probably about 25 years. He wasted those years there. And so we, we were, uh, it's so consistent how the Old Testament and the New Testament is that when the preachers in, in the New Testament preached, they would refer back to the Old Testament. And Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, and Genesis chapter 11, verse number 31, and Terah took Abraham his son, and Lot the son of Aaron his son's son, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, son's wife, and they went forth with them. So we take that verse, and then we take the Lot verse, and when we go to Acts chapter number 7, and we find that God is so consistent in the New Testament uh, with the Old Testament, we have no right to deny anything that's in God's book. Now, how in the world would those men believe that if had God not spoken it? So, we see him stalled out at Haran. Now, the word Haran, look at it, means a place of delay. So, he was delayed there. And so, we talked a little bit about that last week, how he was delayed by his family. And most of us get delayed by our family. Our kids, our parents, our uncles, our aunts, they get delayed by their families. They say they believe all this, take up your cross and let Jesus be first. And I don't, I don't even agree with all, Dr. Dobson and all that group that come out with this little theory here about 20-something years ago that said, this is the way it ought to be. This is your priorities. It ought to be God, family, and church. I don't agree with that. God called, God called us for him to be first. 
And that means whatever he's called us to do has to be first too. So the family comes beyond that and it comes in at number three, not number two. Okay? Now, you don't have to agree with me, but uh, I'm, I'm telling you, some of those books that came out, uh, they were so soppy with, with this sappy type of teaching. Not, not heresy, not, not wrong doctrine, just sappy teaching. Just, just to soothe it down, smooth it over just a little bit. And that's what they tried to do. The reason they was doing that, they were saying to preachers, you know, preachers always come up with the dumb things. It's not the congregations, it's the preachers. And so what they were trying to do was they was trying to get out of visiting. And they were trying to get out of preparing. And they was trying to get out of going to the hospitals and the funeral home. They was trying to get out of some of those things. So they come up with that line. Well, my family deserves my time more than my church does. Well, show me that in the Bible. Then I'll buy it. But I don't buy that a bit. And God didn't use that. He made sure that our love for him was so far above our love for anybody else that it seemed like hate. And that's what he said. Uh, wife, son, daughter, mother, dad, all of it. And so uh, the family delayed him right there. When somebody, I said, over the years, I'll say, well, I missed you Sunday. Where was you at? Well, he said, all, all my family came in. Leave them sitting on the front porch. Or tell them there's a nice church down there with good comfortable seats that Chris just cleaned. And then come sit right there, okay? But um, I, I just believe that we are using everything we can in this day to keep from doing what God calls us to do. So many times our family resents what God calls us to do. And so they get in the way instead of praying and helping and pushing onward, they cling to. And that's what happens here. Terah clings to Abraham, his son. And then notice that the rest of them all cling together. And if I understand this right, Abraham would not leave Haran to Terah died. So he wasted that time and he could have been serving God, but his family clung to him. Be careful. Be careful. Do not let your family talk you out of serving Jesus Christ and what he has led and leading you to do. If you have a Sunday school class full of kids and somebody tries to talk you out of going somewhere or doing something and leaving those kids uh, uh, just to say, well, I don't know where they are. They, they don't, they, you know what you're saying to those kids? You're not faithful and you don't care about them. So don't let anybody pull you away from what God calls us because all we are here is strangers. We're just sojourners, right? So let's look at the fourth thing. Abram stepping out, out and on. He steps out and goes on in faith in verses 4 through 8. His continuation in faith, we really could call this. Verse 5 says that while they were there in Haran, that they got substance. In other words, they, they, they had flocks and they had herds and, and they had servants. And so they had a, a good group 
among them, and each had their own. And so uh, they, they uh, accumulated a, a, a something that would probably take, catch anybody's attention if you saw, saw the servants and, and all the sheep and all the goats, and, and, and here they come donkeys and camels, and, 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 and they're coming down into the promised land. Now, he's 75. He's wasted maybe 25 years have gone by. He wasted them. If we, we're not exactly sure, but real close. Now, in the Bible, God had not appeared to Abraham, notice this, as long as he was in Haran. God didn't speak to him there. You know why? Because he wasn't where God wanted him to be. If you want God to speak to you, you better be where he wants you to be. He will not speak where you are not where he wants you to be. And so Abraham, this man of faith, even though he had this single stall, and later on he's going to have a, a, a single sin, but yet he lived his life as, at least in totality, as a life of faith. In fact, he had far more faith than we do because we live on this side of the cross. He lived on that side of the cross. We got a lot to see that he didn't see he only heard about. Well, thank God for that, amen? And we can see, we, we can read about a cross. It's real to us. We can read about an open tomb. It's real to us. We can read about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's real to us because there was others who heard him. Thousands heard him, and, and that can't be denied. And so he, he steps out now and starts to do what he had already done. Best I can figure out, he spoke. To he appeared, uh, not spoke, but he appeared three times to Abraham. Chapter 17, verse 1, and chapter 18, verse 1. And then, of course, uh, earlier we saw where he spoke to him here. So he, he appears to him three times. And so God had not appeared to Abraham as long as he was in Haran because it means the place of delay. In other words, he was delaying the blessing of God. Y'all getting this? Where'd the blessing lay? In the seed of Abraham. So every minute he was not in the will of God, he was delaying the blessings of God. Every minute you're not in the will of God, you delay the blessings of God. Hear me, church, I love you. But I tell you something, we don't have too many people that's just sold out. We've got a small group, a core, and I thank God for you. And it's most of you tonight. And, 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 and our faithful workers, many of them in Arowana, strung out across the church. We've got, you know, maybe 300 or so that's core. They've got, they're going to be at church. They're going to serve God. They're going to be faithful to God. But the others are out there on the fringe. Maybe 300 is too low. Maybe it's 400. But it certainly is not half. Because probably out of the members that we could find with, uh, you know, police dogs, we, uh, out of all those uh, members, uh, we have 2,700 members. We had 700 when I came, I mean, yeah, 700 and something when I came here. We had less than 100 on a big day um, in worship. And, and so, um, 
I, I look at that and I'm thinking we had probably more core people when we were smaller than we do when we're bigger. Because that leaves about 2,000 people. Now, I know some of them, uh, those 700, we can't count because most of those have never darted the church door since I've been here. So if they all were to come one Sunday, I'm going to preach on getting saved. So, but that's probably not going to happen. But listen, don't delay in the will of God or God will not appear to you. He will not lead you. He will not speak to you while we are delaying his will. Now, y'all help me just a little tonight. Brother Steve don't feel good. I don't feel good. Y'all don't feel good. So let's just don't, let's all feel good, happy together, all right? We'll just feel like, you know, feel like the crud tonight, but we'll do it all together in unity. So as he steps out now, he goes on for God. He starts to step out. And he becomes, a te- he becomes a pilgrim and a stranger and a sojourner. Those are words used about him. And you can find some of these in Hebrews eleven thirteen 13, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And the, the symbol uh, that he was a pilgrim and a stranger was what? What was it? Just tent, right? When you saw a man pitching a tent, you knew he was going to move. He was on the move. He wasn't going to permanently stay there. That was not his home for good. And when you see a Christian today drive their tent pegs down with the worldly things of of this world, you can be sure they intend to stay just like Lot did in Sodom. And so, not Abraham, he had a tent. But let me show you the secret to that faith now. The altar. You see, when you see the word altar, it means surrendered. It means looking for a city, a city in heaven, a city not made with hands. The the word altar actually means devoted to God, at least the way it's used in the Old Testament, devoted to God. So living by faith is living by promises, not explanations. Abraham didn't have a clue where he's going. He had to live on the promises of God because God had told him he would lead him where he wanted to go. And God didn't explain it to him. He didn't have to sit down and give him a a uh, 30-page, you know, analysis of all the things that's about to occur in his life. He didn't give him a book to read and say that you need to learn these things. This is your travel guide. He didn't do that. He said, you go. And you go into this land, and I'll tell you where to go. So he takes off this, he stepped out of his stall where he had been stalling, and he stepped on to go on for Jesus Christ. That's how we all ought to live. When we see we've stepped out of the will of God, we need to step back in the will of God. Hosea chapter 6 verse number 3 says that, and you can read it sometime, but it teaches us that if you want to know something, if you'll continue, God will not only let you know it, he'll let you know more of it. The more you continue to be faithful, the more God will show you what he wants you to do. And so that's what he's saying here. So this sojourner, this pitcher of tents, this builder of an altar, basically means that when he put that tent down, built that altar, he meant for his family to worship. 
Wherever he was, he was building an altar to say, God, I'm moving for you. I'm on the move for you, God. I'm not sitting still. I'm not stalling anymore. I'm on the move for you, and I'm going to be living for you wherever I am. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to be living for you in whatever place you lead me to go. Isn't that a wonderful testimony there? And so he backed it up by faith. In fact, Hebrews eleven eight says, by faith Abraham obeyed and he went out. In other words, he didn't know where he was going. He just simply obeyed God. That's why I believe God spoke to him audibly. He believed God enough to go out. But he didn't believe God enough to say, Dad, you're going to stay here. Uh, nephew, you're going to stay here. The rest of you who's not in my family cannot go with me. I'm on my own. But he didn't do that. He, couldn't, he didn't have the heart to do that. Remember, it, you're not being cruel when you cut the strings off your kids and let God use them for the glory of God. I, I think it's a disgrace today that so many of our young people are still living at home in their 23, 4, and 5. I can see that when I grew up. My daddy would have kicked me plumb to the creek and said, you're old enough to make your way in this world. Of course, I got married at 18. I've been married all my life, so it didn't matter. I was broke then, broke now. <laughs> I was broke then because I didn't have anything. I, I'm broke now because all the medical facilities has got it. And y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So Abraham, but I'll tell you something we've done. We've tried to walk by faith. We've tried to go where God said go. And that's what God, that, when, you get where, when you get to that point, it's the place of blessing. Now, let me just show you what the altar, why this altar, why building an altar is so important. And why that Abraham, when he built this altar, it was so, so important. You see it in verse 7? Abraham said, unto thy seed will I give this land. Whose seed? That, that's Abraham, right? Thy seed, and I will give this land. His seed is Israel. That's the vein to which Messiah run through. And so he not only says he has given him uh, the seed, but he's given him the land. And so look what he does. There he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. That's a great verse. In verse number 8, you can see that he removed from thence unto a mountain and pitched on the east of Bethel and he pitched his tent having Bethel on the west and high on the east and there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. Everywhere he stopped he, he built an altar. Built an altar. He gets to the first place he builds an altar. He moves to Bethel. He, moves, he, he builds an altar. So I just want to talk to you about why the altar, 
are so important. It may have not been elaborate. It may have just been a few rocks piled up in, 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 a, in a certain way. Uh, it, it may not, the, the only elaborate thing we've ever seen in a tent was in the tabernacle, and God made it that way, so it was a type and a picture and a symbol of Jesus Christ. So it had to look like that. It had to be like that. It had to have all the gold in it. It had to have the coverings. And I, I may go back and do that. I did that probably 15 years ago. I did a study on that. It's tremendous what that tabernacle has to say to us. But for the most part, where they built their altars, especially until their faith got established and began to grow, they would just build some kind of altar, and there they would worship God. They'd get on their faces, and they'd say, God, we tried to do today what you told us. If we missed it, God, show us what to do. God, I disobeyed you today. Forgive me. And, and they'd just talk to God, and then they'd praise him for his goodness, and they'd praise him for his leadership, and they'd praise him for his goodness and his mercy. And it was a worship experience. So the altar is very, very important. Now, there's two men who began this journey together, and that's Abraham and Lot. Terah died, so we got Abraham and Lot. It's obvious to even the casual Bible reader that they both took to two different directions. When they parted ways, a little bit later on we'll study it. You'll see it in Genesis 13, verses 10 through 13, they both started out with a common goal, right? But then they both were saved, I think. But they turned out totally different. Abraham built altars, but Lot just wanted more cows. You say, there's no cows in Israel. Yes, there is. I've seen them. Right? We've seen them, didn't we? Cows in Israel. Now, I don't know if they give any, give any milk, but they sure taste good, probably on a plate. But there are some cows. And so he probably had everything that, they, that would grow and, and, and could, could pasture uh, in that, that, that type of land. And so there's one detail explained the difference in these two men, just one. Abraham loved to erect altars, and Lot did not. That's, that's, what, that's all that separated them. As far as we can tell, Lot never built an altar. We don't find it recorded where Lot ever built an altar, but everywhere Abraham's building them. What does that say to you? So I want I just want you to see for just a little while. I got about 15 minutes now, I reckon. Uh, it seems longer than that. I guess my preaching's been dull. But as you look at these tonight, I want you to remember this. Abraham looked toward heaven. Later on, Lot looked toward Sodom. Be careful where you look. That's where you, we wind up. Look, and know something else. Abraham was thrilled by God's grace, but Lot was excited by man's greed. He got excited about what he could get, but Abraham got thrilled 
by who he worshipped. That's the difference. So that's the same in the church. Same in the office where you work or, or whatever the case. You know what separates you from other people in our world? That's very same thing. You're building altars, and all they're interested in is greed. They may not have a dime to their name, but they're as greedy as a pig. You know what I'm talking about? So let's look at Abraham's altars, which represent kind of several stages of spiritual growth in his life. And, and then we'll, we're going to come back and cup, fill in the holes later on. But first of all, there's the altar of conversion in verse number 7. I think it's obvious here that they called upon the name of the Lord. And where did they do that? At the altar. That's why we put this altar here. I, I explained that last week. I want to continue to say this altar is not here just so you can use it for steps and your kids can play on. Number one, you catch your kids playing on, you all tan their hide. I tanned my grandson's hide about two or three weeks because he got up here and made a leaping dive, double, triple somersault over here. Listen, there's more than that. This is just steps. I know. It's just stuff we made, but we've set it apart to God. This is our altar. And you know what? When we, 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 I believe Brother Nathan would agree with me. When the best things happened in this church was when we fill the altars. But we're not filling them anymore. You see, we've moved on. That's a little bit, eh, we don't want to get too into this God thing. That's the way we look at it. But you see, if you're going to be saved, you've got to come to a plate to the altar. In other words, you've got to be willing to turn your uh, life, your old life, this away, and turn to a new life, this away. It's a place of pardon. You're going to hell for eternity. That's, you're going to be locked there and sealed. But God gives you a pardon because of what he's done on the cross. And you can be set free. That's a great altar to go to. And that's the first altar we find. They called upon the name of the Lord. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be. Right. Pretty good altar, isn't it? I'm glad one day I found it. Aren't you glad you found it one day? So Abram's first altar was erected at Moray. That's the... That's how it's pronounced. In your Bible, it's M-O-R-E-H is the way the King James Version. But it's, it's pronounced Moray, the Valley of Moray. That's where he built that altar in that area. I know exactly the area. We don't know exactly the place because of all the ruins and things that's happened. But uh, I just want you, first of all, to notice that altar of conversion. How wonderful the place of pardon. In his house, he had grown up where only idol worship was permitted. If, if you come in, if Abraham had come in and, and said to his dad, Terry, I tell you what, uh, uh, Dad, I tell you what I'm going to do. I, 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 I've made my mind up. I'm just going to have me one God. I, I'm just going to serve the Son God. Oh, no. Terry wouldn't have put up with that. He said, In our land, we serve many gods. That's how he grew up. That's how some of our kids are growing up. They're watching us serve many gods. 
But then in chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord spoke to him and everything changed in his life. And no doubt he was deemed foolish by his neighbors. Can you imagine leaving all the luxury that he was in? And nevertheless, he followed his convicted heart of faith. And he heard the call and he came and he built an altar. And he called upon the name of the Lord. And that's a guaranteed salvation. Secondly, there's the altar of communion. That's in verse number 8. He moved from thence into the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. He moves on down south to Bethel in the land of Israel. Now, Bethel, I'm calling this how wise because it was the place of prayer. At the first altar, Abraham was called by God. And at this altar, God is called by Abraham. You know what that's called? Prayer. Say it with me. Prayer. Y'all do know that's in the Bible, right? Okay. Prayer. At the first altar, Abraham had to call on God. He got saved. At the second altar... Abraham was calling, was calling to God. I need, I followed your calling at the first altar, but now, God, I've come to the altar of communion. I, I, I want to live many years uh, living for God every day because I've lived so many of my years not living for God. Abraham enjoyed being with God. He enjoyed listening to his voice. We don't know how many times God spoke to him. We don't know how many times he appeared to him. Uh, but, but I think he liked to huddle up in his presence, even though maybe he didn't hear an audible voice, even though, but he knew he was in the presence of the Lord. Don't you like to huddle up in the presence of God? And, and just him and, him and God at his altar. Did you know that there was never a famine in the land when they were around the altar? Because God promised to bless them. We'll, we'll see that later on. So he built an altar um, after he goes to Egypt. Like most of us do, we panic and take the material away. But let me just, let me just say, give you, I want to give you an illustration of how prayer still works. My daughter called me today. She said, Dad, I got a story I want to tell you. So, well, I, okay, I like to hear it. She tells me stuff all the time that happens at school. And she's a teacher of high school special ed students. And many of them are not special ed students. They're students who don't care, students who won't study. Uh, their grades are low, and so they just shove them up there in special ed and say, Angie, you take care of them. She's four foot two or something like that, and take care of them. And she does. She loves them. She takes her job seriously. I taught her to do that. She's grown up seeing that, that if you're going to do it, you do it with all your heart. And so she cares, and she prays with them. And when they got problems, she tries to give them biblical help. And when they come to her, she prays with them and help them. This morning, she walked about, I don't know, so, so I guess a month and a half, two months ago, you probably saw it on television, where three young men... Um, went to a convenience store on the corner of where Riverdale High School is and robbed that store. 
Now they caught all of them. And this morning, and so they sent them, uh, they caught all of them that night. So th- then this morning, uh, she gets there, and there's all three of those boys standing out front. She said, hey, guys, and, and she's thinking in herself, how in the world did they get off with armed robbery with 45 days? But she hugged them, said, I'm glad you're here. And, and she said, I'm praying for you. And, and, and then she went on in, but she said, As she walked away, the Holy Ghost just said, you start praying now. And she began to pray. And she prayed. She said, Daddy, I've never never seen anything like it. I couldn't get it off my heart, couldn't get it off my mind. That one boy, that one boy, that one boy that's in my class out of that group, I couldn't get him off my mind. I prayed, and I prayed all day for him. Didn't know where he was at for another day, but I prayed all day for him. When it come to one of his classes, he was 30 minutes late, so they began to search for him, and they found him. And you know where they found him? In the principal's office with a loaded gun. Just sitting there. Her prayer may have stopped a slaughter at Riverdale High School today. If you want to do something to protect your children, encircle them with Holy Ghost effectual righteous prayer. You see, that wasn't just any prayer she was praying. She was praying from burden, and she was praying from a righteous life. God heard it, and God answered it. The foster parent of that boy called and said, he has a loaded gun. They didn't know where he was at. So it created panic. They found him there sitting with that loaded gun, and they took him into custody without incident and took him away. Those other two boys left and tried to rob a store again. All three of them had guns on the school property. High school kids. No telling how many could have been slaughtered. Prayer works, folks. If we'll pray like that for this revival and this Bible conference, it's no telling what God might do.